the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what we try to do here is take your phone calls and answer your questions. Whatever's going through your heart or mind, questions about the Bible, questions about what we believe as Christians and why, questions even about things that you may be going through or struggling with in your lives, we'll do the best that we can to answer. Uh, to get your questions to us, you can call area code 21 210- Zero three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. You can also call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically at six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or send them in via our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Just hit the call now button at the top of the app and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, it's 340-9585. Now normally on Tuesdays we don't have a lot going on, but I'm going to ask you all for your continued prayer. Uh, This is a really busy time, a great time for us. We had a neat thing happen today. One of our graduating seniors, um, uh, a young man's uh, grandson to me, he's uh, these kids, you know, they've been around so long. Well, he had his signing, his letter of intent day, and so the coaches from his college in Kansas came here to to uh, sign the letter of intent. Uh, we had pictures, and all the kids in the academy were there. Uh, Keyshawn Jones will be going to um, uh, Christian College in Kansas, playing basketball there. And uh, congratulations, Keyshawn. Uh, it's a name to always keep in your prayers. Keyshawn Jones, what a wonderful, wonderful young man he is. And we get to watch him graduate um, Thursday night. Also, uh, lots of other stuff going on tonight is our high school awards banquet. Uh, it's a really neat time. This is the time that I always cry because I see all the kids looking so grown up and and um, dressed up. It's, it's a, a great time. It's at the Church Community Center. And we um, we uh, always have a great, great time there. So that's coming up tonight. Tomorrow, Paul and I have the privilege of taking our graduating seniors uh, to lunch. It's a tradition. Pastor Will, who is the principal of our school, and his wife, Natasha, uh, the four of us take our graduating seniors every Wednesday before graduation to um, uh, lunch. They get to choose where to go. And so we're doing that tomorrow. And then tomorrow afternoon, this is for all of you who are radio listeners. Um, they will be live on the program tomorrow. Our graduating seniors, it's something that we do every year and you'll get to hear their hearts. So all of that coming up. And of course, the graduation is on Thursday and then the school year's over. It seems like we just started it. And the school year is over. So there is a lot going on. One other comment I'll remind you again tomorrow. Um, Tomorrow night, instead of me teaching in our Bible study, 
uh, dear, dear friend of mine, Gail Irwin, is going to be here and sharing his heart. You don't want to miss him. If you are in the area, you don't have anything else that will bless you, come on over and see um, Gail Irwin. He, he talks about Jesus. I asked him one time, how do you describe your job? And he said, well, I get to travel all over the world telling people about Jesus. And he talks about the Jesus style. It's his most uh, well-known, most popular book by far. But he's got a lot of books that he's written. Uh, He has a unique way of handling the Word of God. But you know what? More than that, uh, it's neat when you can come and you can laugh and cry during the same message. You'll do that with Gail Irwin. But the best thing, the best thing is his heart for Jesus. I've had the honor of becoming... Uh, his friend over, I don't know, the last 15 years or so. Uh, we've had him here in our church several times. And no matter how much he blesses us when he teaches, the biggest blessing is just being where he is. He's just a neat guy, loves Jesus, and it flows from within him. You can tell it. So that's tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. That can be live streamed at calvaryessay.com if you can't get here. Uh, Wednesday night's usually not too crowded that we can't get people in. But um, um, if you can visit, that would be a great, great thing. But if you can't get here, live stream it. Okay, let's go to questions that have been sent in for today. We'd love your live calls. The program's always more interesting with you than just me talking. Our first question comes from Ted. He says, Pastor, on in the rapture, will all Christians go or just those who are right with God? Also, who are the 144,000 witnesses? Ted, in the rapture, that's Jesus coming for his church. Now, one of the things that we have to understand is that the Great Tribulation, what we call the the time of Jacob's distress, it's a time when the church is gone and God turns his attention back to dealing with Israel. Uh, It's going to be a period of seven years. It'll be the worst seven years here in the history of of, of our world. And it will be kicked off by two things, the rapture of the church, and then there will be the signing of a covenant between the men that we call the Antichrist and the people of Israel. Um, The question, will all Christians go or just those who are right with God? You see, we've all been made right with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. So you see, even if you're occasionally sinning, even if you're messing up, if you're really born again, from the perspective of heaven, you're perfect. All of your sins, past, present, and future, have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So by definition, if his blood cleanses us, we are right with God. So my point in in going to that extreme, Ted, is to say that the rapture is an escape. It's it's being removed from this place of great tribulation because the great tribulation is the wrath of God. How could God pour out his wrath on somebody who's his, somebody whose heart's been made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ? So the answer is everybody who's really born again. Now make no mistake, Ted, there are a lot of people that call themselves Christians who aren't saved. That's always been the case. It will always be the case. But all genuinely born-again believers, regenerate Christians, will be called to heaven to be with Jesus in the rapture before the Great Tribulation starts. Now, regarding the 144,000 witnesses, the answer to that is given to us in the text in the book of Revelation. They are 12,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes. So they are Jews, Ted, And uh, these are the 144,000. I like to view them as sort of uh, imagining what it would be like to have 144,000 Apostle Pauls. And then we can actually make that something else by saying that these 144,000 are marked by God. In other words, they're going to be sealed and protected during the Great Tribulation so nobody can kill them. They're going to do the work that God's called them to do throughout the entire period of the Great Tribulation, that seven-year period of time. Their job is going to be here on on earth. They are Jews who come to faith in their Christ and their Messiah. They will be led by, and when I say led by, I mean their inspiration will be Elijah 
and Moses, the two witnesses also from the book of Revelation. And uh, they will sort of get their marching orders and they will go out into the, the, the uttermost parts of the earth. They will have power to do miraculous things, signs and wonders, and uh, people will get saved. You know, one thing, Ted, that we often lose sight of, now nobody wants to be in the Great Tribulation. Jesus, in talking about it, he said that we should pray that we would be counted worthy to escape such things. Now, while the rapture isn't escapism, it is clearly our intent to want to escape the Great Tribulation. That was what Jesus told us that we ought to pray for. Now, how do you do that? You pray to get saved. People that are saved are going to miss out on the Great Tribulation. But imagine under the direction of these 144,000 Jewish witnesses, uh, evangelists, filled with the power of God, the greatest revival by far, by far, by far, by far, in the history of the world is going to be going on during the Great Tribulation. It will cost them their lives. The people that get saved in the Great Tribulation, most will die as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. They won't be able to buy and sell because we'll refuse to take, or they will refuse to take the mark of the beast. These are people who, uh, after the rapture, when they see things happening, they will just, they, they won't want to submit even to the Antichrist. And uh, God, you know, the divine appointments I talk about often in this program, there are going to be divine appointments. These 144,000 are going to lead innumerable multitudes to faith in Jesus Christ. I once told our church, Ted, that, that the revival in the last days during the Great Tribulation, the last seven years on earth as we know it, the revival is going to be so exciting that I almost wish I was going to be there to watch it. Now, we're going to be in heaven. That's going to be a lot more exciting than watching revival. But make no mistake, it's going to be hard to be a Christian in that seven-year period of time. And people are going to know they're making a choice that in all likelihood is going to cost them their lives. So, Ted, I hope that answers your question. Thanks very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. My next one comes from Dale. Uh, he said, the disciples in Ephesus, why didn't they have the Holy Spirit until Paul prayed for them? I thought all believers had the Holy Spirit. Well, there you're talking about Acts chapter 19. This is Paul's second missionary journey. By the way, when we get back to our Bible studies on Friday nights, this week our graduating seniors uh, are going to be uh, sharing with the body. The following week, uh, I have the honor of ordaining uh, Dr. Peter Paley. He is uh, uh, he and his wife Sheba are the doctors who um, are the foundation of our free doctor's office, Malta Medical. Um, we're going to be ordaining him. He's going to be pastor, Dr. Pastor Peter Paley. We're going to call him DP3. Dr. Pastor Peter Paley. Uh, and so he'll be sharing that night, but uh, Two weeks from this Friday night, uh, we will be back in the book of Acts, and we're currently studying uh, Acts chapter 18. We're just going to be starting at some only one chapter away from um, from this whole story. Um, the reason they didn't have the Holy Spirit is because they weren't believers. Now, this is important, Dale. We have to read very, very carefully. They were disciples but that doesn't equate to being believers. The idea is that they were disciples of another teacher. In this particular case, they were disciples of John the Baptist. They'd heard only of John's baptism. So Paul, noticing something was uh, a little bit off in their, their, um, their, their communication, their understanding, he said, so what about the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And their answer was, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So what Paul did was, well, then whose disciples are you? They were baptized into the baptism of John. And he went on to tell them wonderful news. Now, the same thing happened, by the way, with Priscilla and Aquila uh, with the fiery preacher Apollos. Imagine how exciting it was. Now, these were men waiting for the kingdom of God. They bought into John's message, John's baptism. They were ready. Can you imagine what it was like to run into Paul 
and say, well, tell me about the Holy Spirit. Well, we don't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. Well, let me tell you that because the Christ came, they killed him, but he didn't stay dead. And because he died, he sent the Holy Spirit to live within us. And imagine their faces for a moment when they would think, what do you mean? He's already been here? We missed him? Yeah, but now you can believe and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Paul prayed for them. They were eagerly ready for the kingdom of God. And that's when the kingdom of God and the person of the Holy Spirit came to live within them. So you are right, Dale. All true believers, the moment we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14 says that He, the Holy Spirit, is given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. But He also comes upon us in power. In this particular case, He came upon them and there were signs. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. It was just sort of a validation that these men in Ephesus, Asia Minor, that Paul so longed to go to, really were believers and the power of God was now with them. So that's the answer. We just have to read a little more carefully. They were disciples, but they weren't disciples or followers of Jesus. Thank you, Dale. I hope that answers your question. Here is an interesting question from Darren. Darren says, Pastor Ron, what makes Calvary Chapel different than other churches? And are you the only Calvary Chapel in the San Antonio area? Uh, Darren, let me answer the last one first. No, we are not the only one. Uh, We have planted um, four others in the area. There are two others that that came from other places in the area. San Antonio is a big, spread-out place. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be planting another Calvary Chapel in 2019 in the northwest part of, of our city. Um, but no, there are wonderful, wonderful pastors, um, um, men that I know and, and, and have loved, uh, and they're very, very faithful, and they're spread out pretty much all over uh, on the south side, um, the north side. We're in the northeast part of town, uh, sort of the north central part of town. Uh, on the west side, uh, there's one. And then uh, a friend of mine, Eddie Hernandez, uh, somebody who got saved in our church and and has planted several churches, came back home, and uh, we planted with him uh, in the New Brunfels area. So uh, there's there's other Calvary chapels here in San Antonio, and I can highly recommend any and all of them to you. Darren, what makes us different than other churches is a good question. Um, Calvary Chapel, we're not a denomination of churches. Uh, we are an association or an affiliation of churches. Uh, and and the, the basis of our association is um, um, common beliefs. Uh, we have Calvary Chapel distinctives. This is what makes us a Calvary Chapel. I'll talk about what those things are in a moment. Um, but um, we're connected through fellowship, but we're not connected through a denomination. Um, they the men who pastor those churches are my brothers. But um, we're not all the same. Uh, we, we, again, share core beliefs, but we're not all the same. Different personalities, different styles. Nobody has to, to ask me, nor do I have to ask anybody else if doing something is okay. What we do is is we, we, we believe that God gives a vision to a man, that man plants a church, and then he and Jesus together build that church. Now, the common core beliefs, uh, and I could go on for hours about this, so I'm, I'm going to sh- give you the short version, Darren. The common core beliefs are simply, uh, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, the authority by which churches and Christian lives are to be managed. Um, we, we're very um, uh, light on tradition. Um, we, we open the Bible. Uh, we believe that is our marching orders. So it's very, very important. We believe the Bible truly is God word, God's word. It is inerrant uh, and, and, and is sufficient for life, for practice, for the everyday life in the church and for the everyday life of individual Christians. Um, I think our primary distinctive, Darren, is that we teach the Bible. We don't preach it. We teach the Bible. We teach it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, 
Uh, I happen to be one of the slow ones. Sometimes it takes me two years to get through a book. We just finished the book of Romans. It took a very long time. We just started the Gospel of Luke. Um, that's going to take a very long time. I'm not done yet with chapter two, and we've been there like four weeks, I think, already. So <clears throat> five weeks already, I was just told. So um, um, I think that's the, the single most important distinctive uh, we believe in teaching the Bible, leaving nothing out. Um, we uh, have similar worship styles. Most of us use contemporary Christian music, um, but not exclusively so. We don't have any really strong opinions. If somebody wants to use hymns, that's fine. Um, we are pre-mill, pre-trib in our eschatology. It's very, very important. We are not reformed or Calvinist in any way. We look for the balance in the Word of God, and, and I think that's where um, we are different from other churches. We're not trying to change the world. We simply believe that this is the, the Acts model, Acts chapter 2, that was established as a pattern for the church to continue to follow. One of the great things in our time with Calvary Chapel, and I've been a Calvary Chapel pastor for 23 years, um, I have the complete freedom and autonomy, the, me and the leaders of our church here, the, the, the local elders that we have, to follow the leading of God. We do things here at Calvary Chapel. We've talked about them before on the program. We do things here. We have a free school. This is our 18th year. I talked about graduation coming up this week, and uh, this is our, our 18th year of running a completely free school. We, we don't ask for money. Um, we don't have any wealthy benefactors. We are on our knees and praying all the time. Um, but, but nobody from Calvary Chapel, there's no mothership or no denomination headquarters comes and say, yo, you can't do those things. We have a free doctor's office, a family practice doctor's office, two doctors, uh, Dr. Peter, Dr. Sheba, I mentioned earlier, uh, Dr. Jennifer, who is our pediatrician. Uh, we have a physician's assistant. We have a whole staff of nurses. Uh, we have seen over 20,000 patients in the five years that the clinic has been open. Nobody came to me and said, you know, that's not what churches do. God gave that vision to me. We sort of put it into to, to action. And nobody comes and says, no, you can't do those things. Uh, we don't have to give any money to a denomination. We're, we're just a group of churches in fellowship doctrinally. We believe all of the orthodox essentials of our faith. But I think most importantly, Darren, it's the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Now, since nobody's on the phone, we'd love to have you call. But since nobody's on the phone, let me just share with you why we hold so strongly to that distinctive. For 23 years, I've had the privilege of watching people's lives change. People come in to the church a mess. They meet Jesus, and they change. And that's nothing that Pastor Ron does. That's the power of the Word of God. It's transforming. When you meet my Jesus, you have to change. And then as you begin to grow in your faith... Well, that's when he begins to change you, and it's the word that he uses to do it. We teach the Bible verse by verse at every level here at Calvary Chapel. We don't have kids' curriculum. We don't do things. Now, we, our little kids have fun, and they do things, but, but only after being taught the Bible at their own level. It's very important. What we've seen happen here as a result, at all ages of the Bible being taught, is impossible to describe. People get transformed. It's what Paul says to the Romans. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We constantly speak about that. Not being conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind, making new of our mind, the only way we can do that, the only way we can do that is in the Word. 
And what God does in response to our, our simply teaching the Bible simply is absolutely amazing. Tonight at our banquet, high school banquet, we're going to look at kids who had no choice, no chance in this life. And by the teaching of the Word, church and in school, the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of them. And they changed. We have a Timothy Award that we give every year at this banquet to the most Christ-like kid. And it's honestly difficult to make a choice because there are so many of them. And all of that is the word. Every good thing that's happened here in 23 years is a result of our commitment to teaching the word. Not because of the way I teach it. It's the word that does the work. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you very, very much, Darren. 340-9585. I know people are busy. The phones are quiet today. We'd love to have your live calls and questions. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program 340-9585 see if you don't call i just talk and i keep going on endlessly as i did in the last half hour 340-9585 or toll free if you're outside the local area 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Trey. He says, if God already knows who's going to be saved, why do we evangelize? Trey, the answer's easy. We don't know who's going to be saved. God knows everything, but he uses us to spread the message. You know, this is one of those things, and we get questions like this from time to time, Trey. It's one of those things that's hard for me to understand. God says to do something. Why do we ask? Why do we do it? Of course God knows who's going to be saved. We are all chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, and 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Of course God knows who's going to be saved. He lives outside of time and space, and he chooses those who he knows are going to respond to the calling of the Holy Spirit. But we don't. And our commission is to go tell everybody everywhere to pray. Everybody everywhere about our Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, in that precious little letter to Philemon, in the sixth verse, he says, I pray that you will be active. And he's saying this to a pastor, by the way. Philemon is the pastor of the church. I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. The Christian who doesn't share is a Christian who's missing out. I mean, think about that. Why would we want to miss out on anything that God has for us? And if he tells us to share, it's not a punishment. It's an honor and a privilege. So, Trey, we evangelize because we don't know, reason one, reason two, more compelling, is he told us to do it. We're to go into all the world and make disciples. Well, making a disciple starts with making a convert. And the way we do that, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And once you start sharing your faith, I promise you the power of the Holy Spirit will be so alive in your life that you'll never want to do without him again. So Trey, yeah, he knows, but we don't. Here is a question from Greg. Would it have been a sin if Abraham went ahead and killed Isaac? Greg, that's a question that there's really no value in in asking. There was never any possibility that Isaac was going to die. No possibility at all. What the purpose of this test was, 
was to take Abraham to that place where he had to evaluate who was more important. Was he more important, God more important to Abraham, or was the gift God had given him, Isaac, more important? And evidently, Abraham's heart was turned a little bit. And so God had a test. You know, a lot of us, we get tested not in the same way for sure, but we get tested because God wants us to know what he already knows about us. When we put things ahead of the Lord, he knows that's not good for us. So tests come where we have to make the choice. There was never any possibility that Isaac was going to be killed. You know, Abraham may have have lifted the knife, but it was God who had the power over that knife. When he said, don't touch the lad, don't lay a hand on the lad. By the way, this wasn't a little boy. This was probably a 17 to 23-year-old man. There was never any possibility that he was going to die. So, Greg, I hope that helps. Let's go to Debbie on line one from San Antonio. Debbie, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Debbie, are you there? Oh, Debbie hung up. Debbie, I'm so sorry. We've been wanting calls, and you finally called, and couldn't wait. You feel free, please, to call back. Here is a question from Anonymous. Anonymous wants to know, my question is about gambling. Can Christians gamble, or is it sin? You know, Anonymous, the Bible doesn't say um, anything directly about gambling being a sin. I get this question all the time when the lottery jackpots get so high. Is it a sin to play the lottery? Motive is everything in matters like this. Motive is everything. Um, Is it a sin to squander your money? I know people who are gamblers. I was one. Believe me, that's a huge part of my testimony. We always believe we're going to win the next time. We always believe that we found the system where we found the perfect bet. But it just doesn't work out. In my case, in my gambling, thinking I was going to hit the jackpot and everything would be great, uh, I was fighting against God. There was no possibility, just like I said earlier with Isaac being killed, there was no possibility that I was going to get ahead because God was in control and he was moving my life, directing my steps to the place it would eventually lead right here in San Antonio, Texas. In order for that to happen, I had to be humbled. Paul had been praying for me for 13 years. God was always in control. So motive is everything. I don't want to be a legalist and say, you know, if you play cards or if you go to a racetrack, uh, you're a sinner, you're not really a believer. That's nonsense. But what's your motive? I mentioned this after the Kentucky Derby, but one of the really great things that happened uh, at the Kentucky Derby this year, the the jockey of the winning horse, uh, is a man named Mike Smith. I've met Mike in my previous life many, many years ago, long before he was successful and famous. But when they caught up with him with the microphone, The first thing he said, now this is a sport that depends on gambling. first thing he said was, before I answer your question, I want to give all glory and honor to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is a guy who's really committed and unashamedly committed to his faith in Christ. I'm sure he gambles on horses. Is it a sin for him? No. Romans 14.23, Anonymous, says anything not of faith is sin. So if you can't gamble with a clear conscience then for you it is sin. And whenever I get a question like this, the same thing is true about drinking or other gray areas. Usually it's a sign that the Holy Spirit is already knocking on the door of your heart telling you, you know this isn't right for you. Being greedy is sinful. Not wanting to work as many gamblers want to live their lives without having to go to work. That's a sin. That's laziness. Practically and spiritually, by the way. It's a sin, as it was in my case, 
when I was destroying my family because of it, when I was stealing, literally stealing my family's resources and my family's future, all those things are sin. So motive is everything. But, Paul says, while we're free to do all things, that all things are beneficial. That's a decision, Anonymous, you have to make as you walk with Jesus, as you pray with him. But let me tell you this, and I can tell you this firsthand. As somebody whose life was controlled by gambling, I mean completely controlled by gambling, I haven't gambled since the day I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. That's not true. I, I, I kept gambling for, for a couple of months. Poker games, racetrack. But you know what? Jesus was there with me. It just wasn't fun. And once I decided, well, this is stupid. I'm not going to do it anymore. I have no temptation at all to do it. None whatsoever. So thank you for for the question. I hope it was. Debbie's back on line one. Debbie, thanks for calling back. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi. Uh, How are you doing today? I'm doing really, really well. I get to go to a banquet and watch my kids all grown up today, so I'm doing really good. Oh, that is going to be so much fun. Mm-hmm. One quick What's question. What's the question, Debbie? Okay. Who was Cyrus in the Old Testament? Cyrus was a king, a conquering king. Um, God actually called him by name um, some 300 years before he was born. Um, Cyrus, whether it was his name or his title, is a little unclear. But he was one of the people that ruled over God's people, Israel, uh, when they were being judged by God for being disobedient. So Cyrus, uh, Isaiah, I I don't know the chapter right off the top of my head, Debbie, but uh, Cyrus was... Uh, called by God. Um, he is the one who um, opened the door uh, for um, a defeated Israel to return to their God. And and um, God predicted he would do these things. You know, one of the great things about prophecy is that it completely and accurately tells the future. So when God, who can call a man by name hundreds of years before he's born, and that's exactly the way things come. By the way, he also did the same thing with Alexander the Great. So Cyrus was just one of those conquering kings uh, who was an instrument in the hands of God, not a believer by any stretch of the imagination, but he was used by God to accomplish God's purpose. And that demonstrates, at least from my perspective, what real sovereign power of God, Debbie, is all about. That helped. So, I mean, because they're using this as a future note, and I'm like, no, if he's in the Old Testament, it already happened. So that doesn't make sense to me, you know, that that it would be something that's waiting to happen. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, Cyrus is, is long dead. Uh, God used him from Second Chronicles, um, Ezra, Nehemiah. Uh, no, there's no mention of Nehemiah, but in Ezra, uh, Isaiah chapter 44, 45, um, mm-hmm. talks about Cyrus. But from that perspective in history, it was yet future. Uh, Daniel speaks about him. Uh, Daniel chapter uh, 1, Daniel chapter 6. He was a Persian king, but he's long dead. So it was using Cyrus to tell the future, but but there's no future for Cyrus now. So you're right, Debbie. Yeah, okay. Well, I just wanted to call, and I'm not losing my mind, am I? So, <laughs> you you said they're telling you it's yet future. Who's telling you? Uh, there's some people at work that you know I'm talking that are they come to me and they ask me once in a blue moon a question or two, and I'm like, you know, no, that doesn't sound right to me. And I just told them that I would call you, and I asked them to be listening to the radio because I was going to call okay. you and confirm it. 
Good. You can give them our phone number too, Debbie. Especially people yeah. with sort of a, a a tangential relationship with the Bible. Uh, we want to get them excited, but we want to give them direction about the truth as well. So thank you for being there for us. Yes, I got your number. <laughs> thank you, Debbie. God bless you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's my number. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's another anonymous question. What would you say to someone who claims to be a Christian but has no desire to go to a church? Now, this doesn't have to be speculative, Anonymous, because I do this all the time. Um, you know, where I go, wherever I go, people know who I am and what I do. Now, I don't mean they know who I am because I'm famous or anything, but, but because we're active in sharing our faith. Paula and I both are. And I get this all the time. Well, I'm a Christian, so my question was, well, great, where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church. Well, why don't you go to church? Well, you know, Sunday's my only day off, and I really don't have any desire. I like to go out and, you know, I can spend time with God in nature, and I get all kinds of answers. And here's what I always say to him. Well, what makes you think you're a Christian? I want to know. Paula will ask him, well, when did you get born again? You see, we live in a world that's made laziness, spiritual laziness, sounds so intelligent. You know, it's it's so touchy-feely when somebody says, well, you know, I can go be worshiping with God at the beach or uh, fishing or on the golf course. No, you can't. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And he told us in his word that we need to be a part of a local body of believers. Not just someone who goes to church, but because we are the church, someone who contributes to the church. And I don't mean just money, but our hearts, our time, our talent, and our treasure. But we all need to be part of something that we know instinctively is bigger than we are. So I think, Anonymous, these are important conversations to have. And I don't want anybody that I talk to to, to, to leave uh, if there's any possibility that they're not really born again, I don't want them to think they're okay. You know, you can get on the Internet and say, well, uh, just Google Christians who don't go to church. There'll be a million websites come up. A whole bunch of people justifying spiritual laziness. What makes them think they're a Christian? And they're almost always stumped by that question. Well, you know, I grew up a Baptist. Or I grew up a Catholic. So, well, none of that matters. What makes you think you're born again? When did you meet Jesus? When did your life change forever? And you see, because they're going to hesitate when you ask that question, it gives you a perfect opportunity to introduce them to your Jesus. And we take that opportunity as often as we can. You know, one of the things, Anonymous, that I hear people say all the time, well, you know, I'd go to church, but church is filled with hypocrites. And we tell them, well, welcome. You fit right in. You know, the person says, well, I like Jesus, but I just don't like the church. You know, that's what saying, that's like saying, Jesus, I love you, but your wife is ugly. If you're really born again, church is who we are. It's not an option. So um, be aggressive when people are asking you that. Thank you for the question. Let's go to... Here's a question from our email inbox from Anonymous again. Let me see something here. We got a caller on line one. Scott from Shirts. Let's do that one first. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Brother Ron. Good to hear you on the radio. Um, Thank you, Scott. I wanted to make a, make a comment um, on the question earlier about why they should witness. And the way I kind of look at things is uh, when God commands or asks us to do something, God doesn't need us to do anything because he's already done it all. So when he gives us a command, it's not for him, it's for us. And, you know, not only not only to, to share, share the gospel with, with the lost world, but not only does it reach those that that, that, are, that God already knows are going to be saved, but it also is what it does in us and our relationship with Him. I just wanted to make that comment. 
Thank you, Scott. Oh, God bless very, you, brother. Very, very, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Good comment. You, you know, um, a, a lot of times we, we think we're sharing with somebody so they get saved. But, but a lot of times we're just sharing with them so they're accountable. They're, they're going to stand before Jesus on the day of judgment. They won't be able to say, I didn't hear. Yes, you did. And, you know, sort of the old, let's go to videotape and and, and they'll be they'll see the moment that Jesus was shared with them. So, um, you know, our, our responsibility is not saving anybody. We can't do that. Our responsibility is just sharing this treasure that we have. I, I think of my dad growing up, you know, my dad liked to play ball with me and do all those things. You know, he always made me feel like I was more important than I really was. Like playing catch with me was really fun for him. It wasn't fun for him. It was fun for me. But just because I got to be with my dad, he didn't need me. But what a time it was. Well, the same thing is true. Your comment, Scott, God doesn't need us. He could be way more effective by using angels, for sure. But he chooses to use us. Imagine, he chose the foolish things of the world, the, the weak things, the despised things, even the things that are not. And yet he gave us a pivotal role in winning people for eternity. That's not a, a, a job, it's a privilege, it's an honor, it's a commission, it's a calling. So, Scott, I agree with you completely. Let me go to our question that came in from our email inbox uh, anonymously. Hello, Pastor. God bless you in this radio ministry. I saw an interview where I think it was Robert Jeffress and Dennis Prager were speaking about the riots that were happening in Israel. Uh, Robert mentioned that both were believers in Jesus Christ and that Dennis is actually Jewish, but the difference was that Dennis believes in works-based faith as opposed to grace. Is that true? And why do they believe that when it's not what Jesus says? Um, Robert Jeffress is, is um, he is a believer. He's a, a First Baptist pastor in the Dallas area. He has become nationally well-known. Um, he very, very strong political involvement uh, and, and has a view of church that, that I simply don't share. Um, Why he would say Dennis Prager, who is a practicing Jew, why he would say that Dennis was a believer in Jesus Christ uh, is beyond me, because Dennis is not a Christian. Uh, he, he says so often. I, I listen uh, sometimes to his radio program. Uh, I like his uh, clear way of thinking, and the only time that that clarity seems to disappear is when he's talking about religion. Um, funny story, Dennis Prager was actually the commencement speaker at uh, our son Terry's um, commencement address, uh, com- commencement graduation ceremony from Pepperdine University way, way, way back. And and even back then, now I'm a brand new Christian then, so I don't have much of a background. But we walk away and, and just think, wow, he all, everything he said was wrong. He said... Just do good. It doesn't matter what your motive it is. Just do good. Well, he is works-oriented because he is a practicing Jew who has no way to atone for his sins. Temples, I'm just talking about the Jewish faith. Temples don't function. There's no more sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So what do you do? Well, on the Day of Atonement, they sort of meditate on their sins. It's the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. They just sort of meditate on their sins, throw them figuratively in the ocean. But they're still guilty. Their sins are still stand up in opposition to them. So he is not a believer. He makes no pretense of being a believer. He is very pro-religion. Why? Because religious people are better people. They do good things more often, he thinks. Well, what we believe is what the Bible teaches. We all fall short of the glory of God continually because we're all sinners and apart from Jesus Christ, there's nothing of value that we can do or have. 
and Dennis Prager uh, Anonymous is a, um, um, a very clear thinker in, in all areas except this. He has a, a saying, um, he emphasizes clarity, but he doesn't practice that clarity when it comes to views of religion, his faith, or ours. I, I would not recommend either either ministry, at least certainly as they comment on the things of God. We are under two minutes. Let me see if I've got a two-minute question here. Here's one I can do. Uh, Robert says, what does it mean to take communion in an unworthy manner? Well, Paul's writing to the Corinthians is when he says this. And the church in Corinth, you have to understand, was a church that was completely out of control. If you read the first Corinthians, uh, it just it just seems after the initial half a paragraph greeting, like he's just mad. He's scolding the Corinthians because they've got everything wrong. And when he says they're taking communion in an unworthy manner, he talks about some of them dying because of it and some of uh, others of them being sick. Well, what they're doing is they're living in willful, open rebellion against God's sin. And they come to the table of communion. And and basically Paul's saying, look, God takes that seriously. This is a very holy endeavor for him. And, and God will judge if you take communion in an unworthy manner. Robert, it means if you're holding unforgiveness against somebody, you're taking communion in an unworthy manner. If you're living with somebody outside of marriage, you're having sex with somebody you're not married to, you're doing drugs, or you're drunk, you're angry, you're, you're, you're taking communion in an unworthy manner. Repent and get right with God and be the guest of honor at his table. I'm going to keep this question for tomorrow because there's a lot more that I could do. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Remember, the graduating seniors will be on the program tomorrow. I can't wait. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.